Hello, and welcome to Residential Spread. I'm Josh Cohen, and today I'm here with Corey Gergen. What's up, Corey? Hey, uh, not much. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. I, just a little inside baseball for listeners. We're, we rescheduled uh, this, this episode, and when we were finding a time for it, uh, I said, there's literally nothing on my calendar on Friday, which is literally true, but also I'm like kind of in grading jail today, so I'm grateful for this excuse to take a break. Tis the season. We're also here with Alexandra Edwards. What's up, Alex? Not much. I'm also in grading jail, um, and I have more students this semester than I've ever had before in my teaching career. <laughs> um, and I don't, I mean, it's fine, but it's, yeah. <laughs> grading remains the worst. It's true. I'm not even actually grading one of my classes. Like we're ungrading. So all I have to do is give them feedback. Um, But I have to give them like a lot of feedback and I'm very happy to do it. It's just very time consuming. Feedback is the most time consuming part of it. Yes. Yeah. It's really easy to slap a number or letter grade on something. (laughs) It's, um, it's quite easy. Which is the problem with grades. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Correct. Well, as our, Regular listeners know, on Residential Spread, we talk about colleges and coronavirus. We analyze the decisions schools are making in response to the pandemic, investigate how existing structures of academia affect those decisions, and discuss what it's like to navigate higher ed during a pandemic as members of the precariat. Yeah, so so this week, uh, our episode is kind of in response to um, the University System of Georgia Board of Regents's changes to the tenure system, uh, which went into effect two weeks ago, uh, as of, as of the, as of the time this episode posted, it'll be not quite two weeks, uh, since the board voted unanimously to change post-tenure review. Um, those changes are kind of naughty and complicated and we're not going to like fully get into the specifics, uh, here, but the basic takeaways are, um, that it is now easier uh, for uh, universities and the board itself to fire tenured um, faculty members. So it takes away a lot of existing protections that come with tenure. Tenure still exists in the university system of Georgia, but it, it exists in a very sort of, in, in a less strong way. Um, and it's really, some of the changes are broad and vague enough that it's it's unclear quite how active a role the Board of Regents will play in um, in uh, decisions about about tenure and, and extensions for tenured faculty. Um, uh, did, does that get to the gist of it? It does. Um, and of course, um, the sort of one of the things that's at issue here and why this is a big deal um, is because, you know, pre- previous to this, um, the University System of Georgia, all, I think it's 25 of the 26 schools are tenure granting institutions. Um, And those decisions to tenure and, excuse me, not to tenure, but the decisions to, um, how do I want to say this? Um, Sorry, my cat is playing with a, a, somehow there's a Christmas ornament. (laughs) (laughs) just one Christmas ornament from the move that got, Oh Christ. Um, What was I saying? The decisions about um, 
attempting to sever ties with a tenured professor um, previous to this in the university system of Georgia were decisions that were made by faculty peers, tenured faculty peers. Um, and this exists in part to protect academic freedom, right? So the idea being that an administrator or a government official of a, a public school system can't take issue with the way that you teach something um, and then just run you out of the school, right, previously. And this is important for academic freedom. Um, and we're going to get into sort of what some of the historical background of this stuff is and why this is um, a system that that tenuously exists in the United States. Um, but basically, the changes that the Board of Regents put through uh, give that some of that power, make make a path for there to be the option for administrators or deans um, or other people who are not tenured faculty members to decide to sever ties with a tenured tenured faculty member, um, and we'll talk about why that's problematic. But that's sort of the big. It takes the decision away from a, a, a panel of peers um, who are also professors and researchers and pedagogues, um, and it gives it to people who are you know, of the managerial class. <laughs> yeah. And it also, I, I should add, it also gives the Board of Regents um, the power to take control over the decision to grant tenure in the first place. Um, and there mm -hmm. are sort of like some nebulous things that like if schools aren't being sufficiently rigorous, I believe is, is the language, mm -hmm. um, then the Board of Regents can step in there. So it like is attacking tenure at both ends, both uh, in granting it and um, in the sort of protections it's supposed to offer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When the university system of Georgia, um, when it was revealed, because of course they didn't announce this loudly, but when it was revealed that they were sort of rushing through this process of, of amending the charter to change these rules around tenure, um, the American Association of Unity University Professors, excuse me, um, AAUP, which is a professional organization slash union. It has the force of a, a bargaining unit in um, non-right-to-work states, but it does not have that in right-to-work states um, pending, you know, um, whether or not you're allowed to unionize um, or collectively bargain. Sorry, everyone's allowed to unionize, but state employees in Georgia because of the Taft-Hartley Act are not allowed to collectively bargain. Um, so AAUP functions more as a professional organization there. They announced publicly that if the Board of Regents voted through these changes, then they would have to, um, they would be forced to proceed with an investigation on whether or not to censure the system. Um, so today what we actually really want to talk about is AAUP and censure and um, academic freedom and the protections of tenure and what all of this stuff means. So to that end, I have now laid enough groundwork that I can say our temperature of the day is 57. 57 is the number of schools, uh, institutions of higher education, that are still on the AAUP center list for not observing the generally recognized principles of academic freedom and tenure that are approved by the association, as well as um, the Association of American Colleges and Universities, and uh, 250 other professional and educational organizations. Um, so this means that there are 57 schools that have 
officially been censured, been investigated, and then the um, general body of AAUP has voted at the annual meeting to censure the schools, and these schools have not engaged in their remediation process and fixed themselves um, in order to be removed from the list. And that's what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like a lot of institutions to me. But uh, if if they go through with the censor, that's censure of the University System of Georgia. That's twenty five more. Right. right. That number is going to um, raise one hundred and fifty percent. Right. Like immediately. Um, yeah. And it you know, it really remains to be seen whether or not the University System of Georgia will engage in the process um, with AAUP. Um But 57 is a lot of schools. The school that's been on the list the longest has been on the list for 52 years. So in 1969, they were censured. um, And they, as far as I can tell, have never attempted to get off the list. There's been no remediation process. They don't, they just seem to not care. And which, what school is that? Oh, sorry. That's Frank Phillips College in Texas. Um, I don't know anything about that school, so that's why I didn't have any. (laughs) No, no, fair enough. I'm I'm curious. I'm curious when they were even founded. Uh, Looks like 1948. So 52 out of 73 years they've been on that censure list. (laughs) That's incredible. That's that that tells you that maybe they're they're happy with that censure status, Uh, or. They're not yeah. particularly worried about it. Well, Texas is another, maybe. yeah, indifferent. Texas is another right to work state, um, you know, that that took the exemption of the Taft-Hartley Act. Um, so AAUP doesn't have quite the bargaining force here that it could have in other places. Um, the, but yeah, the same is true in Georgia. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, this list is interesting. Um, you can access it. We'll put a link in the show notes, but you can access the the list of schools that are still on the center list, um, these 57 institutions. Like I said, the, the earliest one that hasn't fixed themselves is 1969. The most recent one um, is Pacific Lutheran University in Washington, um, which was censured in 2020. So that just happened, and they maybe haven't had a chance yet to there are definitely some familiar faces, you know, usual suspects here, but there's also some some surprising ones like, I mean, again, this is Texas, but the MD Anderson Cancer Center, that's like a little odd mm-hmm. to me. Uh, you know, Clark Atlanta is on here mm-hmm. as far as, uh, you know, Georgia schools. Brigham Young, that may not be a surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating. There's excuse me, there's such a range from community colleges all the way to colleges that are are, um, relatively elite, right? Um, So Bennington is on here from 1995. Um, Let's see, Murray State, Kentucky, um, State University of New York from 1978. Um, Yeah, that that was surprising. Yeah. Like, what's their deal? What are they what are they waiting around here for? I, yeah, I don't know. 
I didn't I didn't read their report. So you can also read the reports um, that the <laughs> AAUP I spent I spent a good couple of days getting into these um, that the AAUP has published. So what happens when they censure a school is essentially is um, I should say, excuse me, what happens when they begin to investigate whether or not a school um, is following their principles for academic freedom and tenure Um is that they impanel a group of professors, faculty members who are have not previously been involved in any way um, in whatever has happened in the system. And those faculty members investigate what it is that's happened, what's the incident or the policy or the sort of thing that is pointing to academic freedom being at risk at this particular institution. Um, that includes they'll send um, at least one person to the campus to actually interview people. Um, and of course, that has to happen with the participation of the school. So the idea is that the school is a willing participant in this process um, of, of investigation. Um, they then prepare, the committee prepares a report. The report gets published by the annual AAUP, um, in the annual AAUP like bulletin. Then at the next annual meeting, um, they the membership, and I'm not sure how many people it is or if it's people who are in a sort of certain um, uh, working group within the AAUP, but the membership votes on whether or not they, they should censure the school. So whether or not the conditions on the ground that are reported by the committee um, do indeed merit them saying, hey, you have a problem with academic freedom and the way you're treating tenure. Um, after that censure, official censure happens, then the school can engage in a remediation process with AAUP, um, which usually involves AAUP sending someone back to campus to um, check out what changes have been implemented and things like that. And if a school successfully goes through the process um, and kind of fixes their problems, then they can be removed from the list. So, um, you know, 57 schools that haven't fixed themselves. Um, there are uh, at least dozens that have been on the list and have since, um, you know, in good faith participated with AAUP in um, redressing whatever the issue with academic freedom is. Um, so you can read these reports from the schools that haven't fixed themselves. Um, and they're real dishy and they're real fun. <laughs> Um, Clark Atlanta, for example, is um, on the list for, let me pull it up so I get the number right. Um, they, in 2009, they terminated 55 full-time faculty members, which was a quarter of the total faculty with no notice and four weeks of unconditional severance salary. <laughs> um yeah, so that's why Clark Atlanta is on the list. Um, that, and that has big uh, George Senior getting the employees to unload and and uh, load all the office furniture as the first thing they do on the job. Energy because they're they're about to be fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's clearly right. Like we can look at that and say, okay, so. February 6, 2009, this is immediately after um, the, oh my God, what was it? The housing market crash, right? Yep. Um, so we're in the, the sort of initial stages of the Great Recession. 
um, when a lot of people were crying about, um, you know, suddenly the economic downturn meant that they needed to slash budgets and all of these things. Yep. Um, yep. But austerity, baby. Austerity. But good God, just firing 55 full-time faculty members just in one go <laughs> is it's, horrifying. It's wild. Yeah. It is. It is. Um so one of the other Georgia schools that was on here that I thought was very interesting was um, SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design, um, which is this um, really, like, I know it as a pretty um, prestigious art school, certainly the most prestigious art school in the South. Yeah, for um, sure. For sure. So I did not know that they were on this list this is sort of the problem of the list is you need to you kind of have to go look at it if you're on the job market or going to be on the job market if you're a graduate student or if you're a professor who's looking to sort of move um i really recommend checking the list um before you apply somewhere because there are schools on here i just didn't i don't know that there's schools on here i've applied to um but i've considered applying to scad for things um Yep. Yeah. So it's just good that it's there. I wish it had a little more um, discoverability. I wish more people knew about it as a resource, I guess. Um, oh, boy. But SCAD, let me let me try to remember all the things that happened here. What's dishy about SCAD is that um, they dismissed two faculty members without demonstrated cause. Um, and so the AAUP said, hey, that's violating academic due process, which is like a problem. Um, and then they found when they investigated that there were also all these violations um, of academic freedom around six other faculty members who were denied reappointment. Um, but so SCAD was censured in 1993 and in 2010 or 2011 they decided it was time to get right they had like a new president and they were like okay we're gonna get off the center list we're gonna fix our problems um so aaup went down you know started their follow-up process um and i guess actually excuse me i should say before they went down to savannah to the campus um they started their follow-up process and one of the things that they recommend is a, a certain severance um, or monetary remuneration um, for the violation of, of academic due process. So SCAD had to track down all these people um, that they had fired, you know, 20 years previously <laughs> um, in order to be able to pay them settlements. So they started work on that process and then they invited um, AAUP to come down to campus. But they scheduled the, the visit and then they said like, oh, hold on, wait a minute. We need you to sign a bunch of stuff, um, non-disclosure agreement and some other guarantees before you're even allowed to come here. Um, and one of those guarantees was the removal of SCAD from the censure list, which the, <laughs> the report very clearly like says um, – how on earth could we possibly 
promised you we're going to remove you from the censure list before we visited to see if you fixed the problems. And also when you know that the membership has to vote on that and that can only happen at an annual meeting. Um, so you can just see in this very dishy report all of the sort of bad faith that SCAD um, attempted to engage in um, as they they wanted to get off this list, but they wanted to do it their way. They right. were demanding that they get to choose who AAUP talked to um, and you know, what could be sort of said publicly about them and all these things. And in the end, AAUP... Um, said, well, no, obviously you haven't fixed the problems with academic freedom and the climate of academic freedom on your campus because you can't even engage with us in the process in a way that that honors and values our academic freedom and like our ability to to actually do this investigation. Um, so they basically yeah. AAUP said, fuck you, we're not taking <laughs> you off the list. <laughs> it's It's remarkable logic to be like, okay, we will apologize, but only if you tell us ahead of time that you will accept our apology. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's more than apologize, right? It's right. like, no, right, right, right. It's like, we'll demonstrate to you that we're not abusive anymore, but you have to right. promise that what you're yes. going to find is that we're not <laughs> abusive anymore. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> Which is wild. <laughs> it's remarkable, yeah. Um. Yeah, and that, that SCAD was really like um, intense about I'm, I'm just looking through the report again. The last of the three conditions on which the staff members commented um, had more immediate ramifications for the current status of academic freedom at SCAD than the desire to purge unwelcome historical information. Um, so they first off wanted, SCAD was like, we have to be, um, you know, it has to be covered up that we were ever censured at all. Um for a visit, this is, I'm reading directly from the AAUP report that was published in 2012. For a visit with the stated purpose of gaining an impression of the climate for academic freedom, the AAUP, um, and indeed the visitor himself, that is the person the AAUP sent down to campus, through the execution of a separate confidentiality and non-disclosure agreement, needed to acknowledge that SCAD had sole discretion in determining the itinerary for the visitor, where on <laughs> campus he may go, who he could interview, and what topics he was allowed to discuss. SCAD was to receive a copy of the visitor's report and anything in it that went beyond the SCAD approved topics to be discussed was to have no effect in removing the censure. Um, that doesn't sound like a school that has nothing to hide in the way that they are conducting themselves with regards to academic freedom. No, that's wild. It is. And so they're all, a lot of them are like this, right? Um, yeah. Not, there are not many schools that have tried to engage in the um, remediation process and get themselves removed and like haven't been successful at it. There's Louisiana mm -hmm. State University in Baton Rouge. Um, that one was also, I think, a wild ride. Um, that was Much about, like it's Lazy River. Yes. <laughs> That was about these professors who had, I'm trying to find it. Um, oh, that's right. The, the LSU one was um, that the school actually like, they had this professor who was an expert in engineering and particularly um, it like work on coastal erosion and hurricane and flood related issues. Um, and so in 
the wake of Hurricane Katrina, he was like one of the researchers who worked with um, the Army Corps of Engineers and started looking at what had happened in Katrina and why it had been so bad. And he was like, hey, um, there's a problem with the levees. Uh, and LSU at first was like, oh, look at our researcher who is like in the national news because he's helping with Hurricane Katrina um, and like recovery and figuring out what happened. And isn't this amazing? We contribute so much science, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then he was like, yeah, this is the fault of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And LSU was like, shut up. You're not allowed to talk to the media anymore. Stop that. this kind of might be an opportunity to bring this back around to 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 the u.s university system of georgia because i think when we think about the sort of and we've talked a lot about the sort of political status of the board of regents and the fact that it's made up entirely of appointees by republican governors of georgia Mm -hmm. um i think there's a lot of anxiety uh right justifiable anxiety about sort of using these changes to tenure rules in USG to come after like quote unquote liberal professors, right. Primarily in the humanities, I think is how that gets imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, you know, there's a lot of professors in the sciences doing work that might be deemed politically inconvenient oh, right? sure. at, at a place like Georgia tech. Sure. Right. Um, and so I think like, not to say that that's a bigger problem, than, you know, humanities professors being, you know, persecuted for their, uh, you know, uh, research uh, and teaching. But it's a broader potential set of problems than might have immediately, that might immediately be apparent by like the way it's getting covered in the media and things like that. Sure, absolutely. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons, right, why the Board of Regents might have a vested interest um, in silencing um, and letting go of professors um, from a range of disciplines, right? Well, and it's, we've talked about this before, but it's awfully convenient that they push through this post-tenure review policy change in such a rushed way, right on the heels of faculty concerns about lack of mass mandates indoors, lack of vaccine mandates, and a wide range of other, you know, COVID topics that we've covered that that USG faculty have been increasingly outspoken about. Um, and AAUP, in fact, organized a week of protests just, you know, a, f- a few weeks before this all went into effect. So it's it's a little of a an odd coincidence that that would happen right at the same time. Right. It certainly would ease the Board of Regents' ability um, and it, the Board of Regents' ability to to not necessarily pull the trigger themselves, but to direct administrators, because we know, have, you know, a direct line to these administrators um, who are in lockstep, have never in any way. And when I say administrators, I mean like, you know, the vi- the provosts and the vice provosts and the presidents of the schools um, have, have never stepped out of line in this entire process, right? Have never said anything um, that contradicts the Board of Regents. Um, but it certainly would, these changes absolutely make it a much more expedient process were you to want to say remove a professor um, who is you know publicly calling out the university system 
as endangering students during the COVID pandemic. Yeah. So whether or not that's the intention of it, and I think the timeline is is real sketchy um, in, in terms of, I mean, it seems, I don't, I don't think you have to be a conspiracy theorist to see the correlation, the quick sort of correlation between like massive protests, CNN coverage, and, oh, we better look at the tenure review process, you know, and see how can we make it easier for administrators to fire tenured professors. Um, I lost what I was saying in the middle of that. No, well, I mean, even if it's not intended, right, it would certainly have a chilling effect. Right, exactly. On, on that kind of direct action from, from tenured faculty. Absolutely. Exactly, exactly. Um, so one of the things that the AAUP said when they announced, the na- when the national organization announced that they were going to um, pursue an investigation into the University System of Georgia with the idea of potentially censuring them, um, is that they said that this would be sort of um, the only thing they could really compare it to in their history of this process was um, the 1974 censure of the Virginia Community College system, which was 24 schools. Um, And so I wanted to just talk a little bit about what happened there. Virginia Community College system has since gotten themselves removed from the censure list. Um, So their 24 schools are not included in that count of 57 uh, that are still on the censure list. Um, But basically, in in the state of Virginia, in the 70s, I thought this was really wild. History is, I mean, time is not real. (laughs) And history is just always happening to us and the present is forever. Um, but the they had a um, tenure system, <clears throat> excuse me, in the uh, Virginia Community College system that they had um, in place for only like two years or, or four years or something like that. It, it had been in place for a, a relatively short amount of time. I think since the state of Virginia had decided in the late 60s to organize the community colleges under a sort of centralized system, um, tenure existed. And then a few short years later, in secret, they actually um, moved to remove tenure entirely from the Virginia Community College system and instead move to a system of um, renewable contracts with different term lengths based on how long you had been there. Um, If you are in academia now, um, that might sound familiar to you because, for example, (laughs) that is how teaching faculty at my institution are provided some measure of job security, though not academic freedom, right? Um, Your initial contract is a year. And then if you perform well enough for the first few years, then you can be promoted to the middle rank of teaching faculty, in which case you can then have a contract that's renewed every three years. Um, And then if you are around for a really long time, you can have a contract that's renewed every five years, right? Um, But with no sort of guarantee that those contracts will be renewed. Um, So Virginia Community College System moved to that um, model in 1972. 
And the AAUP was like, hey, that's a real problem. You used to have tenure and you just did away with it. Um, And so they censured the entire school system. Um, And the state legislature got involved. And of course, they were not helpful in any way. They were, you know, refused to do anything about it. Basically, they basically got together. The Virginia state legislature got together and was like, is this a problem? No, fuck you. (laughs) Um, And eventually the AAUP resolved this, although I don't have the history in front of me of how the resolution happened. Um, But I just thought it was really fascinating that um, here's a quote from um, a report in a magazine called Change, um, which is about this whole process. The magazine says, um, Chancellor of the community college system, Dana B. Hamill, thinks they have a good reason to feel threatened. He sees tenure going down the drain nationally. (laughs) Uh, The state community, sorry, the state community college board adopting a renewable contract personnel plan put Virginia 20 years ahead of the rest of the country is what the chancellor asserted. Um, Yeah. Yes. I mean, that man was correct. Um, And they undid this, but yeah, that's absolutely what we've moved to. I was shocked to read that um, as a quote that came out in 1973. Um, Yeah, it's, it's wild. And like, I think maybe what other institutions learned from that, that example is to not do away with tenure entirely in one fell swoop, but just to do it like mm -hmm. by drips and drabs, right. By just like slowly converting teaching responsibilities uh, from tenured positions to renewable positions. Yep. Right. I think that's right. So that over the past um, 50 years, then what we've seen is these little carving out, right? Carving out of, of, oh, well, you don't need all of your first year comp classes to be taught by tenured faculty. That's the tenured faculty should be protected from that. So let's hire a bunch of non-tenure track faculty to teach that. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, well, you know, we don't even need people who are full-time to teach that. So let's just hire adjuncts instead. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. (laughs) It's bleak. It's really bleak. Um, (laughs) and you know, unfortunately, um, censure from the AAUP doesn't have any sort of like binding, um, force, right? so a system would have to, like in the case of Virginia, who eventually remediated their problem, um, a system would have to be willing to play ball with the AAUP. And I don't know that the USG is. I no. I my guess would be that they they either don't care or they want this fight. Right. I mean, we've talked in on the show in the past about sort of how and why politicians like to demonize unions around teaching. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of not a high note to end on, but something <laughs> other than like a bleak vision of the future. Yeah. But, well, uh, it's one of those I think things you're right. You, I think you're right. It's one of those things where you like really wish that there were like adults in the room. You know what I mean? Right. Like we uh, this is a, a, a certainly not a new observation, um, particularly from the past five years of all the things that have happened to us in the United States. Um, but you want there to be somewhere an authority 
even me as an anarchist, like <laughs> I want there to be somewhere, someone with the power to be like, hey, you can't do this, right? And right. instead what we have are these like really fragile institutions that are made up of like goodwill and good faith. And when you get a bad faith actor in who actually doesn't, you know, when you get a, a board of regents that's 18 or 19 people who have no experience in higher education um, mm -hmm. and are political cronies um, who are, are there to do the governor's bidding, right? Um, what you find is like, that's a problem, right? It's a problem right. that we all assumed that we were like engaging in the same democratic institutions and society together um, mm -hmm. because they're not playing on the same terms as we are, you know? Yeah. So I would want, I would want like the accredited, accrediting institution to come in and say, like they did in the case of the mm -hmm. chancellor search to come in and say, like, if you don't fix the center problem, you're at risk of being of losing your accreditation. But I don't know that that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I um, I imagine LSU is accredited by the same body that we are, and it doesn't right. seem to have... There's a, I mean, what struck me in looking at the list of schools is how many, like, flagship state public institutions are on this list. Mm, yeah. uh, University of Missouri, University of Nebraska-Lincoln, LSU. Um, and, you know, it's it's it strikes me as like more upsetting when it's these schools that are you know ostensibly like theoretically in their own branding like drivers of equity in a state right like mm -hmm. i'm a i'm you know i'm the product of an in-state state school college degree right um mm -hmm. and um you know that is now going to be less valuable because of these changes oh yeah apparently um my partner reports to me. I don't look at the Georgia Tech subreddit ever anymore. Yeah. Um, I find it upsetting. <laughs> but he he likes, to go look at it. <laughs> he likes to go look at it and he reports to me that um, students and alumni are fucking pissed about this because they recognize that that being uh, in the national news for problems of academic freedom and the kind of brain mm -hmm. drain that we assume is going to follow because who's going to want to stay as a tenured professor if their tenure doesn't right. mean anything. Um, but apparently they recognize that this hurts the, the quality um, of their degree, right? Yeah. And, and the meaningfulness of, of holding a degree from the Georgia mm -hmm. Institute of Technology. And they are fucking pissed about it, um, well, which is good. That's, <laughs> that's sort of a, I mean, honestly, that's sort of a ho hopeful note because I do, I think that alumni and donors probably have more sway sure. in this fight than the AAUP, right? So like, that's honestly like, that's a slightly cheerful note to end this increasingly long bonus episode. <laughs> uh, do we have other last thoughts? Well, I didn't even get to talk about the Red Scare. Um, I know I'm I'm bummed that we didn't get to the to the is is the Red Scare maybe a future bonus episode? Uh, possibly. I mean, just to say that, like, so much of this history about these arguments around academic freedom, like, it's crucial to understand that that this comes out of a time in the United States when colleges were under attack by um, conservatives as being like hotbeds of commie propaganda. Um, and in part, this stuff exists from that kind of McCarthy era, right? So that you couldn't just like say, you, you're a communist and we're firing you immediately if you were a tenured professor, even if you were a communist, right? Um, which certainly some tenured professors in the 40s and 50s were. Um, so it's interesting to me to see now, I think we're in 
a moment where we need to be really careful um, about protecting intellectual freedom and academic freedom and things like that, because that McCarthyist, I, I know it's cliche to say, but that like McCarthyist drive to, to flush out all the commie pinko assholes um, is finding new forms now, right? Um, we see it in the panic around the teaching of what people are now calling critical race theory. Um, we see it around um, Republican attacks on higher education. And we see it around also the kind of um, alt-right, anti-mask, anti-vax, um, you know, stuff that's happened. I don't even have a word for that. Um, but this sort of virul- these virulent campaigns, right, are, are sort of... Um, the same kind of fear mongering. I think we need to be really careful. And then to get back to our hopeful note, we need to make sure that we have alumni and students and donors who understand what's at stake um, and can help us fight against this kind of new wave of McCarthyism. Yeah. Yeah. You made a, you like made the point serious. I was going to joke that I can't imagine what parallels you were seeing between McCarthyism and, and our present <laughs> moment, but <laughs> you went ahead and actually made the serious point that I wanted to joke about. So thank you. I know. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that's much better than my bad joke would have been. Uh, so thank you. Um, well, it's nice to be in a space where I can just talk about this stuff and not have to worry that like my students are secretly recording me and turning mm. me into campus reform. Um, Right. Because, you know, I worry about that stuff when I try to talk about the parallels between um, House on American Activities Committee and the the movement to ban critical race theory in schools, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Damn yeah. it. I brought us down. It's again. the same. It's the same <laughs> shitty DNA. But uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to work together. We're going to continue to make fun of the border regions, do what we can raise awareness, et cetera. I mean, that is the nice thing about not being tenured, right? It's we- like, <laughs> what are they going to do to us? Uh, yes. This changes nothing about our position because we didn't have these protections to begin with. And we've been talking <laughs> shit for <laughs> almost a year and a half now. So Exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, thank you all for, for, for talking through this with me. And thanks, Alex, for doing the deep dive on the research here. Sure. Thanks everybody for listening and until next time, keep keep talking shit. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being a communist. <laughs> that's 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 better. Yeah. <laughs>